very much um, um, at the heart of um, researching, translating, um, writing about Polish literature in this in this country. Um, in fact, I can start um, with Oscar um, Phillips on my left, who is in, um, and of course, for some of you, um, um, what I'm going to say about our two colleagues is uh, not, not me, but you're very familiar with their work, but for those of you who are not, let me just say a few words before I hand over. Oscar um, um, Phillips is an honorary research associate at the um, University um, at UCL, at the School of Philosophy East European Studies. Um, she's a, um, a critic of public literature, um, also a translator, um, and has widely written and published on Polish literature, mostly of the 19th and 20th um, century. A particular, um, a particular um, focus and interest is um, um, this feminism, writing by women. Um, Ursula has brought a lot, um, which is of course some great um, a range of um, edited volumes which she has um, um, edited um, with a colleague of these, Ursula Horian Kavanez, but also from other people, um, as well as um, some of her most recent translations, such as, for example, the um, uh, 19th century writer Narcissa Chmiechowska, but not that well, well known. Um, sometimes labeled as a sort of early feminist within Polish literature. Um, we've got another translation there as well, and I presume um, everybody's welcome to have a look at these books. It's not fascinating. Um, maybe fascinating um, around. Um, I understand Kursler is currently working on a book on um, Sofia Malkowska. Also translations. And also, I understand, um, uh, in parallel with that, as you seem to like to do as it were, to translate the authors you're working on, as it were. So, also some translations of Malkowska coming out. Including things which may not have been translated into English ever before. Right. Oh, very little. Yeah. Malkowska has been translated. Um, basically, Medallione. Yes. And a few, because of the subject matter, and um, a few short stories. Can I ask a question? Can anyone hear us? Uh, because I think we have I, I, I will. I'm happy to speak. I, um, uh, I don't like to shout at you, but yeah. I'm telling you that you can't hear me like this. Then let's pick up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so to my left, Oscar Phillips. Um, to my right, um, Antonia Lloyd Jones, who many of you will know as well, who is a very well-established translator of. Um, contemporary and more generally 20th century um, Polish literature, full-time translator, um, uh, won twice the Fadi Translation Award, and has really very widely translated, particularly, I would say, post-89 um, literature, um, all genres, as it were, um, prose, Paweł Puelle, poetry, Tadeusz Tombrowski, um, the famous reportage genre, which is, of course, well-known within Polish literature by Wojciech Jagielski, um, an interesting uh, uh, co um, a collection of essays by uh, the medical doctor yeah. Andrzej Szczeklik, a biographical work, um, and children's literature, and that takes us further back in time by, uh, by of course, um, the famous Dr. Korczak. Um, and I understand there's another nice children's <coughs> book 
in translation coming out soon, um, Tuvin's Panma uh, Gushkevich mm. um, with illustrations. It just come out, yes. Oh, it has already come out. Well, it's available. Yeah. It's a um, publisher in New Zealand called Book Island that they're distributing here. Right. <laughs> um, and um, Antonia is also a mentor for the British Centre for Literary Translations, uh, for the um, um, British Centre for Literary Translations Mentorship Programme. Um, um, <coughs> prime. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> prose as well, detective novel, novels by Sigmund Miloszewski, so really a very wide range of. Um, um, Literature, Polish literature, uh, which um, Antonia has translated into English and made accessible to readership in this in this country. Um, our third speaker is um, George Gamery, um, and again, many of you will be well familiar with George and his and his work. A Hungarian-born poet, writer, translator, um, literary scholar, um, um, who. Um, taught Polish and Hungarian literature for many years at Darwin College in, uh, uh, in the University um, of Cambridge. Um, among his many um, um, merits and um, uh, um, awards um, is membership of the Polish Academy of Arts and Sciences in Krakow. And George has um, widely written on Polish as well as Hungarian literature. He is an accomplished um, poet himself, mainly in his native Hungarian language, but there are also co-translations um, from the Hungarian into, um, into English and I understand into Polish as well. Um, and vice versa, um, George also translated some of the um, best-known 20th century Polish poets into Hungarian, including, um, <laughs> into, including uh, Miłosz and, of course, Herbert. Um, uh, his uh, um, um, new book um, <coughs> will be launched soon at the Polish Embassy, um, the Polish Swan Triumphant. It's a collection of essays, okay. and the Polish Swan Triumphant, essays on Polish and comparative literature. This very catchy title it doesn't come from me. It comes from Isaac Watts, who describes Sarubiewski this way. Exactly, and the, and the volume includes a wide range of um, a wide range of authors, as the subtitle suggests, really taking us from the Renaissance Kochanowski up to Norway, including very interesting authors such as, for example, um, um, the Neo-Latin author Sarbievsky, other Baroque authors such as Morstin, also other late Renaissance authors from the late 16th century, Saint Sarinsky. So this is altogether. Um, um, quite um, exciting um, volume um, in um, Polish literary criticism. Um, so this is just a way of brief introduction of our three speakers, and of course it's not uh, about me talking, but it's about having the opportunity to hear what um, our three uh, speakers um, 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 and can tell us about translating Polish literature before and after 1989. And perhaps I can invite you to talk um, simply uh, for sake of simplicity in the order as you appear on on, on, on the uh, on the program as it were so 
Antonia, or did you have Deeper. different? Did you have a different sort of idea that you had to? Uh, no, but you're off. Yes, yes, yes. <coughs> okay. Is yes, that yes, yes. George is happy with that. Yeah. Are you all happy with that? I, I, I don't know if if any chronology is involved. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether that one page could be projected because it's a bit of a help. Oh, it's on here somewhere, it is. isn't it? It's just switched it itself. It's simply a list of anthologies of Polish yeah. uh, literature <coughs> translated into English from 1956 to 1989. Um, and that is just to. Oh, there it is. Here we are. Let's get rid of the. Um, right. Okay. Well. First of all, I would like to say uh, a few words how Polish literature became, if not exactly popular in England, but better known in England. This didn't happen right after the war, although there was a very large number of Poles, the Anders army, as you know, um, came to, um, most of the Anders army came to England and many of, of um, the Polish fighters. Uh, Polish soldiers settled down both in Scotland and in England proper. Um, this uh, interest in Polish literature, serious interest, started in fact in 1956. Um, at least that was my impression, because before that you had various little collections published by emigres, but they weren't important. They didn't reach the general public. And even the very first uh, ten contemporary Polish stories uh, was published in Santa Barbara in California. Um, I don't think it hit the English market at all. Mm. What uh, maybe I, I just sum up the three periods uh, which I'm going to talk about: one from 1956 to to um, 68, 68. Um, to the late 70s and then after. And basically, this is a thematic, um, thematic division because in the very first period, what interested the English reader or what Poles thought interested the English readers was the war experiences in Poland. And that involved both the Polish Underground, the fight of the Polish underground against the Germans, uh, uh, the uh, Holocaust and its Polish um, part. Anyway, war experiences was what dominated the contemporary Polish short stories of Andrzej Kijowski from 1960, and to some extent even the modern Polish mind, of, uh, Maria, edited by Maria Kuncevic in 1962. 
here I don't want to mention too many names, but I'm come to um, the main players in this period. Jerzy uh, Andrzejewski, Tadeusz Borowski, Miron Białoszewski and Tadeusz Ruszewicz. These four people, I think, were the most translated um, and both in the United States and in England, because when you're speaking about this period, obviously, various publications in the United States, which didn't reach, uh, like the Postal of Polish Poetry, which was published much later in England, but already by Double Day in 1965, had a huge impact in America. So, let's, let me talk about the um, these four people very, very briefly. Of course, Jerzy Andrzejewski was uh, uh, known as, before the Second World War um, as a Catholic writer of existentialist meanings. Um, I think he was very much impressed by Bernanos in his very first two books. And then he became, as we know, after 1945, a very well-regarded fellow traveler of the Polish Communist Party. Um, during this period, he wrote one book, Ashes and Diamonds, which became a huge bestseller all over the world, mainly because of the film in which Cybulski <laughs> played marvelously, and um, which was shown, I think, in, I think, made in 1958. So here I already have to say that the influence of Polish film on the reception of Polish literature in England and the United States was very significant, very significant. Now, uh, all right, Ashes and Diamonds was published by Penguins as early as 1962. Mm. But I knew David Welsh, the translator, and I, in fact I visited him once I gave a talk in Ann Arbor, University of Michigan and um, enjoyed the hospitality of Welsh, who was bitterly complaining about, mm. about Ashes and Diamonds because he said they cut so much out of the book. <laughs> um, the publisher didn't want various details which, uh, which I thought wouldn't interest in this. So he, mm. he wasn't very happy with it. But then he was rather bored in Ann Arbor and uh, um, translated quite a lot. Um, I think not only Andrzejewski, I think he also wrote a, a um, in the Twin series, a um, biography, monograph of, was it Mitskiewicz? He wrote one of the monographs in the Twin series anyway. Never mind. So, so Andrzejewski. Now Andrzejewski later on um, continued his, his, um, his popularity continued in England and in America, although he didn't write anything which would, would have been would have the same impact as Ashes and Diamonds. Now, Ashes and Diamonds, I don't want to go into analysis of a book that would lead us very far uh, on the right. People thought it was too pro-communist on the left. They thought it wasn't enough communist. It was a, it's a controversial book anyway. The film was excellent, though. 
because there a lot of bad material was cut off and Vida made it into one of the best Polish films of the world. Tadeusz Borowski, Tadeusz Borowski um, those who never heard of him, well, I doubt whether in this. <laughs> Um, yes, he was an inmate in Auschwitz, Oshinenchim, and he described his experiences in a sort of deadpan manner. Um, not, he wasn't exactly a naturalist, but um, as if in the style a bit of Hemingway, I don't know. But he was very, very, very laconic in his description of uh, the concentration camp and also he tried to tell people that normal human ethics and normal human morality broke down completely in the camps and that's why his testimony of the camps became so important. <coughs> Borowski was also translated in um, only in the 70s, 1976, by Barbara Vedder. And of course, he was published later on, in, in, and his real popularity, I think, in, happens in the 1990s or something mm. like that. Okay. Tadej uh, He was the first Polish poet I met when I was a very young person because very few people knew this. Ruzevich before moving from Blitz to Wrocław, spent a year as a scholarship bearer in Hungary. So I met him back in 1952 or 53. I was a very young beginner. And Ruzewicz um, uh, made the mistake of inviting me when I, I, mean, I knew I would be in Poland in that year on the scholarship. And he said, well, why don't you come and see <laughs> so I spent two days in Glivica talking to Ruzevich and I've been corresponding ever since. Now, his popularity in England is due to, and I have to admit it humbly, to Adam Czerlewski, who, who otherwise is a uh, not an easy person to deal with. Adam Czerlewski. Right. But for Ruzevich, he really did a very good job. He translated excellently his um, poetry, his plays, because Ruzevich wrote some very good plays uh, in the 60s, 70s. And uh, he's uh, really one of the still living Polish classics. Um, um, later on, he edited, that is, um, Czerniewski, uh, an anthology of Polish poetry called um, The Burning Forest. Yeah, that's that in the 18th and it's further down. Oh, right. Further down. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, okay. Um, but that is not um, a complete anthology of Polish poetry. It's, it's very much a selection uh, which reflects Czerniewski's um, own taste. Um, now, Miron um, Bianchevsky, well, he's a, a very good poet. He was a very good poet, unfortunately. He's dead, but he's no longer with us. But his most memorable 
Proust's is a memoir of the Warsaw Uprising. Uh, it's an extraordinary book. I recommend it to anyone who can be Polish to read the original. Um, he's, um, he's one of the, the, the very credible witnesses of the uprising, how the civilian population experienced it. Um, and that's the book. Yes, it, has, yes, it, it was translated into English in 1977 uh, in Ann Arbor. Okay. okay, these are war experiences. Now, what really made a huge difference then was 1956. Well, not only 56. Actually, today is March the 5th. I usually remember this day with some glee because this is the day when Josef Vissarin and Stalin died. And that was the beginning of the fall. The fall, which started in different countries at different times. Uh, Ilya Ehrenburg um, coined the phrase the fall. Uh, Stalin is free, melting out, as it were, or melting down to a more um, acceptable form of communism. Who knows? Anyway, what happened in Poland between 54 and 56, the Polish thought, produced a large amount of literature which suddenly became interesting for the English reader. And there is one book, which uh, uh, one anthology, which I did put up right up there, and that is called Bitter Harvest, uh, published by Prager, New York, 1959. Now, that is a an opportunistic anthology in a sense, because it produces all the most interesting writing of the thought. So it includes Marek Wasko, Bogdan Drozdowski with one poem, which is not bad, Leszek Kowakowski with two essays, Pavel Hertz, Adam Bajo, very important, very important, Ponad Ladorosky. Uh, that was like an earthquake in Poland in 1955 when Ponad came out. I can witness to that because we were translate, I was translating it into Hungarian and distributed it at the university mm. at the time. Unbelievable. Mm. Now, Vashik is an interesting person. He was a surrealist before the war. Then he went to, uh, I mean, he escaped to Russia, became an officer, political officer of the Berlin army, Kostyushko. <coughs> Which are not very popular in Putin after the war. Mm -hmm. And he, nobody liked him, to tell the truth, he, because he was kind of fun. He enjoyed his power. But then, after the death of Stalin, suddenly he, he, he began to understand the system and wrote this long poem, poem of Dorosy, one for adults, which was the first frontal attack on. Socialist realism. So, uh, in the second period, which goes on till about 68, even further down than maybe early 70s, you have a large number of people who suddenly become interesting. And these include Maracuasco, well, very funny, black realism of Maracuasco who um, died very young, but he emigrated from 
Hollanding or escaped from Pullman, emigrated rather in 58 when his, he made a film uh, with a West German Polish co-production and fell in love with the with the leading actress Sonia Zimmer, I think so. Okay. My memory is still rose. <laughs> anyway, Marek Wasko is an extraordinary character because he somehow managed to write a kind of almost surrealistic, <laughs> naturalist, naturalistic prose. And some of his short stories are excellent. Uh, his um, autobiography is very funny. Mm. Very funny. Except I, I, don't, I wouldn't translate this into it's English. Just because translated. There are two, yes, it's just been published by a man called Ross Upberg in New York, translated. Wow. Amazing. Um, and it's just come out. Amazing. Well, anyway, uh, one of the few, few people of that generation who I never met, but exchanged letters in mm. which uh, Marek Rasko was um, rather characteristically asking for some fees of was published. In. Okay. Um, but other people who I knew rather well and who made a huge career in the English-speaking world, speaking of help. Um, I had the distinction of having invited Herbert first to Oxford in 1959, and he arrived with Jerzy and uh, spent three days here, um, meeting Zvisha Kwerczynski, amongst others. Um, he um, wrote a kind of poetry which was, um, again, I, I wouldn't, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not to analyze Herbert poetry, just to say that the classical tradition and modernism was combined in Herbert verse, which is usually unrhymed, although in the early period some rhyming poems as well, and which translates extremely well into English. So Herbert became already a star of the of Polish literature. Um, let's go further down. Back up. Further down a bit. Mm, oh, sorry, no, further up. Further yeah. up, sorry. Uh, because Miłosz, Miłosz's anthology, thanks to Miłosz's anthology, 65. And of course, just Miłosz himself is a, a major presence in the period. And strangely enough, he becomes he is the one who is also, whose career in the West starts with the Thor, but in a different way. Not in Poland, but by that he kept in mind. Right? Which comes out at the very, before the Thor begins in Poland, and has an enormous impact by copies smuggled into Poland. Now, Miloš himself didn't consider kept in mind a major work of his. He wrote it because at that time, he both needed money and he had to justify why he didn't swallow the cat monk of communism. But it's still a book which, which is worth reading today. In some ways, it's more, it explains more than Kostler's Darkness of Moon, which is a great work, but of a very specific kind, because it tells only about how the old Bolsheviks went through the process of, basically, suicide, 
for the sake of the party. Whereas Milos, from a point of vantage point of outside vantage point, described uh, the ways in which communism was swallowed by various alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Anyway. But I, again, I, I don't want to discuss Cesar Milos in any detail. You probably know more, most of you, a lot about him. But his uh, first book, which really made an impact in the West, apart from Captain Mind, that is Little Lucas to Slotkowicz Poetry, an anthology which he translated. And he was very fat because he couldn't stand Shibosh at all. But I think he included one poem by Shibosh. <laughs> Never mind. Lesha Korkowski. Now, Lesha Korkowski is, I, again, I don't have to introduce him. He becomes the, the philosopher of the Thor, the philosopher of, of that period in which people in Poland still thought, well, maybe we could reform communism, maybe we could modernize it, we could. Well, and it was Lesha Korkowski who in 1968 said at a conference in. Um, where was it now? Kila, in the Hall. Revisionism is finished. 68. Revision is no longer an issue. No, he, he was right. Well, he wrote an enormous amount uh, afterwards. Um, I still think Responsibility and History, which is his essay back in 1956, is. Uh, it should be a must-read for anyone interested in the history of Marxism, etc. Well, another person who became popular in Slavomir Moroja. Slavomir Moroja, of course, with the short stories, with his plays later on. Um, the trouble is, you see, that I have so much material. <laughs> i five more minutes, but not, no more. But I could talk about the subject for an hour. Um, Mrozhek, of course, um, that's also interesting. In the early period, he was known better for Swan mm. and the short stories, which, you know, were again, well, representing the Polish absurd or East European absurd. Who knows? But they, they were little stories with a, usually with a twist at the end, or the very beginning, there two twists. I particularly remember the one of this one, the elephant, which is pumped up and in the end it goes up in the air. Which is socialist, basically. Or socialist propaganda. Pump it up, pump it up, and then escapes. Because there is no, of course, there is no elephant in the zoo. Now, in the third period, which is basically the post-revisionist, period, is when some of the greats of Polish literature come into fashion yeah. and are translated Bruno Schultz. Yeah. Uh, I think Gieniewska uh, uh, translated him in 1963, but his real popularity um, starts sometime in the 80s. 80s or in the 90s. It's been redone now. It's redone, I'm sure. Uh, Gombrowicz, Vitor Gombrowicz. <laughs> Again, I have lots of stories about Gombrowicz. 
It was translated into English well, in the 1960s, but nobody knows it took any notice of him. In Germany and France, he was very popular. So in 1967, he got a French prize, a French literary prize. And translators at times didn't know whom to ask for an opinion. <laughs> Who was going to So they rang me up. I was at the time working in Birmingham in the um, Russian and East European Center. Before Cambridge. And I asked, who is this Lombroch? I said a few words, it was printed in the Times. And there was letters from readers saying, I don't believe that there's a Gomorrah, George Gomorrah in Berlin who knows about Lombroch. Who is this man anyway? He's invented. <laughs> but you see, Gombrovich, the funny thing about Gombrovich is that he's too, somehow, somehow is too European for an English reader. Not only pro very Polish in some ways, and very sort of continental, I can't put it in any other way. Um, in, in, in spite of the fact that he lived in, of course, South America for many years. But in the 70s and 80s, suddenly, new translation of Gomorrah, because the first one, Eric, Eric Mosbacher, was translated from the French and the German, so yes. it's lousy. Yes. But then somebody else translated it, I can't remember, the brother of the done several now, yeah. um, but, and uh, Bill Johnson. You will deal with it. So now, now I'm really coming to the end of my somewhat talk. Another name I have to mention is Witkatsi, Sensab Ignatsi Witkiewicz, who became very popular, not so much in England as in America. In California, the flower children loved Witkatsi. It was absurd enough for them and, and funny enough for them. And uh, Gerald translated, um, I think, most of his important plays, and he was performed in California from 1965-6 onwards, and Gerald published several books, I think. And that's it. I'm sorry, I, I, I couldn't even <laughs> do justice to a number of things which could bring it up, which I edited the uh, East European number of Tri-Quarterly, and um, which came out as new writing of East Europe, and uh, Lesha Kolakowski reader, which I also edited with George Klein in 1971. There we are. Thank you very much. I think that provides us with a very nice background and setting for Antonia. Reminding me of all the million things that I've forgotten. Because <laughs> um, I ought to be mentioning. Uh, can I um, uh, just close this? And I've got some pretty pictures for you. Um, oops. Just um, see if I can make them appear. Um, okay. Um, this computer's happy with this. Rather than um, putting lists of titles, I've just got cover pictures. If uh, if I can make them appear, is it? No, uh, no, no, it's not that. It's, it's <laughs> you don't want that, I promise you. Here we are. Here we are. Is it? 
Come on, machine, do your thing. Sorry, I have a completely unfamiliar computer. I haven't the faintest idea what to do. So. Probably, <coughs> probably right click on something. Right click on it. Oh, well, I've done all that. Seems to be quite frozen. Sorry about this minor technical hitch. Do you know what to do at all? I mean, if you try opening PowerPoint first, and then... It's, it's there. Sorry? If you try, try opening PowerPoint first... Yes. It, it oh, yeah, okay, open PowerPoint, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Alright. At least it's open there. Alright. Okay. No, I think I'm... Yeah. I think there's a problem. It seems to be there, look. Isn't that PowerPoint? Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. And there's my thing. Oh, okay, here we are. Alright, alright. Okay. Um, Alright, so I'll just go to the full screen. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't know what to do to show the thing properly from beginning. Alright, but I don't want it to go flying through. Alright. And just to stop there. Okay. Alright. So well, that's me, that's boring. So, um, as Pavel Hillowis mentioned in the um, title, I thought I would talk mention him. Um, and what I'm really just going to show you is what sort of things get translated and published in English, um, because obviously there are certain forces at work here, markets and things like that. Um, it really, Polish literature, there started to be more Polish literature in English, the contemporary literature, from 2000 onwards. But Pavel Hiller was one of the writers who was there earlier, with, who was David Weisser which I translated, and that came out in 1990, I think, 89, 90. Um, and also, he's useful for showing how things have changed in terms of how a book comes to get translated into English in the first place. So, um, what George was saying, in the past, books got into English because of academic initiatives, People who were experts, often with quite with academic publishers or um, in journals or in fairly kind of not mainstream publishers, and what's an awful lot has changed in the last twenty years. So that now Polish literature is appearing not exactly with mainstream publishers, but as something that's generally available and more widely known about, not just for the, those of us who have this strange quirk of reading East European literature. Um, so um, how David Weisser got into English was a sort of accident because there was a wonderful man called Donald Pirry who was an academic in Glasgow who died tragically young, otherwise he would be doing great things. And he... Um, just was incredibly active and he organised in 1988, which is quite a time to be doing it, um, a Polish cultural event in Glasgow where he got all sorts of people along. He managed to get them out of Poland and including some writers and he got Bronisław Maj, the poet, Paweł Hiller and Anthony Libera came over and talked about their work. I mean, it was amazing that they could get passports and um, they were tormented by the um, 
uh, immigration people on the way out of the country. I mean, it was, these were historic times. And so I met Pavel Hiller at this event, and I was with Jan Hodakowski, who at the time was a valiant fighter for right, was running Pulse Publications in London. And Pavel had just published Weiser Davidek, which was very successful in Poland. And I was interested in translating, had done a bit from Russian, but wasn't very experienced. And we just teamed up. And I had been doing some work with Michael Glennie, who was a very well-established translator of Russian. And he helped me and showed me how to prepare material to show publishers. He then chatted up Liz Calder at Bloomsbury. And so by a sequence of accidents of the right people with the right interest coming together, this book was published in English, a uh, book by a young Polish writer, completely unknown in, in Britain. And things were starting to change, not just in Poland, but also here, because a great deal has also happened in, in this country and in America in the last 20 years to put translation much more firmly on the map. There's an awful lot more respect for translated literature. There's a lot more translator training. And um, I think the whole idea of reading foreign literature, although <laughs> I wish more people read it, um, there's a much better attitude generally to the whole idea of translation in, in English language-speaking countries, which has also helped. So... Um, if, so those are Pavel Hiller's titles, but if I show you, um, I've done this by genre. I'm not really a poetry translator. I've done one poet who bullies me into it, basically. Sort of rings me up at four in the morning and complains about where commas should go and things like that. So, um, but here is a fairly nice selection of some of the things that have happened in Polish poetry in the last 15 years. But it's the usual suspects. So, for instance, that sort of V-shape, that sort of chevron of books, are all the same publisher, which is Zephyr Press in Boston. So they've done fantastic things. And a lot of that is to do with certain very dedicated translators. So Ella Wojcik-Lees, who's done the anthology, Carnivorous Boy, Carnivorous Bone, and she did the Magena Kila book, Thought Monody. And then Bill Johnston, who's done Patrician Ditsky. Um, I always think people think I'm sneezing when I say that name. And who also was behind Mira Rosenthal's translations of Ruzitsky, who I uh, think, to my mind, is the greatest living Polish poet um, and one of the greatest poets ever. And um, so, for instance, this isn't everything. This is just a selection. So um, the Wroblewski is the latest one, translated by Piotr Kwiatka. And then Ark, which is a very small, dedicated British publisher who does mostly anthologies, and they did this six Polish poets, which Jacek Denel edited, and then um, Tadeusz Puro and Rod Mengham did the Altered State for them. And then they've just done the Christina Miłobenska, which is also Ella Wojcik. And then Bill Johnston dared to tread on the patch of Adam Czerniaski, <laughs> which is a very brave thing to do, and published... Uh, I would highly recommend also this Archibelgo books, Ruzhevich. Um, so in poetry, there's a lot happening with the younger poets now coming out, and a lot of this is down to one or two dedicated publishers and some dedicated translators. So then um, looking at the fiction, this is just a selection again. Um, 
you've got Bill Johnston has kind of got a publisher to listen to him very carefully. So he's got all these Tullys out and Mishlivsky now in English. The latest one is a treatise on shelling beans, which I highly recommend. It's a superb translation. Um, and then um, there's more and more small independent publishers taking up uh, Polish literature, but it's still really small independents. It's not mainstream publishers. So what, what we see here is that the, the, the market is very specific, and you mentioned how Gombrowicz is too European. I would say too central Europe. <laughs> and um, there is a bit of a cut-off with the perceptions of the Anglo-Saxon when it comes to foreign literature. If it's a place where they go on holiday, then they're happy with it. So if it's Italy or Spanish-speaking or French or German, it kind of figures on their radar. But somehow one of the, you know, the, about the fault lines across Europe, or one of them is, affects what people read and unfortunately Russia gets across because of all classic Russian literature but Poland is somewhere in this strange ghetto of, of places we don't quite go to <laughs> we kind of know about but <laughs> not quite so it is very very uphill work to get people to take a major interest in Polish books which is why it's so hard to persuade publishers because obviously publishers are business people. They're not doing it just for fun. They have to make a living. So they are only going to publish things that they know they can sell. And so when Polish publishers and translators are pitching books to them, it's very important for them to decide, to choose very carefully. And um, sometimes Polish publishers don't understand why certain books just don't take off in Britain or why nobody here is interested in them. And a lot of Polish literature does very well in German, but clearly there's some cultural reference for Germans. They find it more familiar. Whereas for Anglo-Saxons, somehow there is some difficulty here. But anyway, there's, there is a lot happening and there, is a lot of, there are a lot of wonderful books coming out. So just to give you an idea of the range, this is, there's more and more genre fiction now. I mean, some people probably be offended to be put in the category of genre fiction. Um, but um, these are crime books, and then there's fantasy. There's also some stuff. I haven't bothered to mention the great writers, like my poetry didn't have Szymborska and Miłosz, because they're obvious. And, and here I haven't got Lem, for instance, who continues to be very successful and, and was successful in before. Um, so, although he was often translated by a French. And then this, this thing on the top right, this appalling thing, is um, a graphic novel, which um, there are better ones than that coming out in Polish, but it's quite amusing. Um, and then, so there's quite a lot of these gory crime books, which I'm afraid I'm responsible for a couple of those. Um, so, but it's very interesting, if you take this book, A Grain of Truth, for instance, how that came to be published in English. This is a much more typical example of what happens nowadays, because... The roles have developed for the translator and particularly for the Polish publisher. So, for instance, whereas in the past Polish publishers really had nothing to do with what books got published in translation, now the Polish publishers 
are extremely active in selling the rights to their books. So they, Polish writers don't have agents. There isn't really enough money around for that. Um, there are, there's one very active agency called Polish Rights, uh, run by a woman called Magda Dębowska, who uh, represents several of the major Polish publishers, including Czarne. Um, and, but mostly, the publishers have dedicated foreign rights departments. And they put together information to try to promote their books abroad. And they go to all the book fairs, including, uh, for the English language, obviously, London and Book Expo America. And that is, and Frankfurt, of course, is a major international rights-selling market. And they promote their books. And they work very closely with people like me, translators, who can help them to prepare material to show Western publishers and I remember when they first started doing this, they were bombarding every Western publisher with all the books they had. And I was saying, look, you know, you've got to target things. You have to think about the market here. Think about what that publisher, what each British publisher publishes. And only show them things that they're likely to be interested in. Because every Western publisher, every publisher, knows their list and what they're about. And they know very quickly if they're interested in the book or not. So you have to not bombard them, but tailor things to them. Um, so with the grain of truth, what happened was it was an interesting process because the Polish publisher had sent information to British publishers, including Bitter Lemon, who specialise in uh, foreign crime books only. That's all they publish. And they only do about eight books a year. They've just had their 10th anniversary. Um, and they're very successful. And they had been told about various Polish books by more than one Polish publisher. So they approached me as somebody who could read those books for them. And they said, can you please tell us, our list includes this and this and this, our brief is this and this. Can you tell us if any of these books fit the bill? Which ones should we be interested in? And I read, well, didn't get through all of, <laughs> about a stack of books. And these seemed to me Exactly in the right mould for them. So I said, this is what you want. And with the first one, they still wanted to read it in German before they published it. But then the second one, they were happy to just take my word for it. And now they're going to do a third, which the author's writing now. So it's a different process now. Um, so then if we move on. Um, okay, so Polish reportage is really taking off now. Because... Uh, uh, Personally, I think it's one of the strongest areas of Polish contemporary publishing that does have a market in the West. Because there's an awful lot of novels coming out in Poland, which are, you were saying how there's a lot about the war. Everything's still very Poland-centric. And there's still, obviously, a need in Poland, part because of the restrictions on culture in the communist era, there's still a need for an awful lot of expression of what's happened in Poland and the need to understand that which is coming out in the literature still. But of course, a lot of that doesn't really travel. And it's of great interest to Poles and maybe people in Central Europe and Germany seems to take that in. But less of a seller when it comes to the markets in Britain and America where people are used to a different kind of book. Yes, Kapuscinski, I, again, he's a, such a classic that I haven't put him in. But he is, he's the kind of father of all these writers. And um, 
they have all come out of, of his school. And, um, of course, he's massively important. Imperium is fantastic. Yes, it's fabulous. All his books have been, well, just about everything, not the older ones about Poland, but everything else has been translated into English successfully. So thanks to him, that's another thing, because he had good attention earlier and became an international figure, it's given all of these people a slightly easier ride. But it's also that they're not writing about Poland, sad as it may seem. They're writing about other places. So we've got um, three books up there about Russia, well, Chechnya, four. Um, about Uganda, about Bosnia, about the Czechs as a nation, and about Turkey, for instance. Um, that's just those are just examples. That's them. Um, I've got the two newest, just the opposite corners there, just about to come out. Um, so then, I wish this category was bigger. I mean, I, there's probably things I haven't thought of. Sorry, oh, yes, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I better hurry up. Um, so anyway, there's some essays and um, biography happening. Um, again, the Kapuscinski is an interesting how that came about, because um, in this case, again, the publisher approached me, several publishers approached me to write reports for them. They all got the same one. Uh, and, <laughs> well, it's a big book. And then eventually, some of them were interested in it, some of them less so. So it was probably, I did. I'm afraid I'm the guilty party. Um, and then children's books, Just this is really the newest thing that's really starting to take off. I'm very proud of the maps. I've translated this, which is really just labels on maps. <laughs> Someone had to do it. And then um, some of these are older writers, like Jachowicz, obviously, and Tuvin, and Korczak. So there's some interest in the older books. But these are very new, these are drawn, the Mijelinski books, which are very popular in Poland, and these are being very successful internationally. The maps is a hugely successful book. So that's very nice to see happening. And then I just wanted to say, sorry, I know I'm rambling on and using up all the time, but so things have happened in Polish publishers, publishing. Polish publishers now have this new role of selling rights. Translators help them. But then also importantly, the, Pol the Polish state has done a great deal towards this, and this is well worth saying. The Polish Book Institute, which is in Krakow, and is the most fantastic uh, organization that um, exists to promote Polish literature abroad and was started basically in, in the year 2000. And so they have various programs which encourage translators and publishers. So the Copyright Poland program, publishers can apply to that for funding to pay for rights and translation. Pub translators can apply for um, money to pay for extracts that they translate to use when they're pitching books to publishers. Um, they organise a huge, every four years, what they call a congress. Funny words, too. But it gets together translators from all over the world, from every possible language. I didn't know there was a Vietnamese Mitskiewicz. I think they probably make them translated in prison as a punishment, but there it is. And then, um, and then they have also seminar events where they get translators to come in and meet Polish translators. They have residencies for translators. They produce catalogues featuring new books that have just come out in Poland um, with extracts in them. They go to the, all the international book fairs. Poland's just been the guest in Delhi at the New Delhi Book Fair. The whole set of writers went and, um, and got some publicity. 
and then they have a very good website I've put the address there for you because that's very very useful and this is a fantastic resource and I have friends translating from Czech and things who weep when I tell them with, with envy and the, tra the tragedy of their own situation where they don't have this kind of support and then there are other resources there are still some things that are very, very hard. The hardest thing, really, is promoting Polish literature, getting people to buy those books. So the Polish Cultural Institutes, which are um, Ministry of, of um, Foreign Affairs uh, institutions in London and New York and Delhi, are very useful because they help us to set up events. They have limited resources, but they help us to get writers over, promote books, and do something to get people interested in them. Then there are other resources which aren't... Polish specific, such as English Pen, which has all the old Arts Council funding and a fantastic translation um, grant programme, which started up last year. And then the EU also provides funding for translation. And now there's more translator training through the British Centre for Literary Translation, for whom I'm mentoring Polish um, translators. But that's paid for again by the Polish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And then there are summer schools for people who are interested in literary translation. I'll be running one at City University this year for a week in June. Um, and then the London Book Fair has a translation centre where there are, it, there's a great deal of information about for budding translators. Um, and Poland's going to be the guest at the London Book Fair either next year or the one after. We're not sure yet. It'll be announced in April. Um, so, um, I know I've used up my time, sorry. Yes, and we move on swiftly to first of this. Yeah. Inevitably, we're using up a bit more than I would. A lot of interest. Yes, don't worry. Oh, yeah. well, thanks, thank you very much, Antonia, because this is a very realistic presentation. This is the real world where, you know, commercial forces um, are at play and, um, I'm afraid I'm going to take you back to something rather more utopian and idealistic, um, which is how we study Polish literature and its dependency or not on translation. Uh, and it featured so prominently on, on the poster. Um, I feel that I should start from our book, and I have uh, three three copies. Please, would you like to hear? Pass them around so people that have not seen this, yeah? Um, Polish Literature and Transformation. This was an attempt, um, not only by myself, but um, a group of 16 um, other scholars, to capture, try and capture the changes to Polish literary culture since 1989 as a result of the political and economic change. Yeah, so we're basically talking about transition to democracy, uh, removal of the official state censorship, and the introduction of the market economy, which we've seen have a lock-on effect on all aspects of the of, of literary production. But we also look at the way uh, literary research, um, you know, literary scholars working both in Poland and outside Poland have responded to those factors and to others. Um, the conclusions of the book was that we now have a, a situation of plurality. We could not, you know, despite all the books that we looked at, we could not find any common themes. I mean, there were common subjects that are discussed, and we, we're still, you know, we're talking about the war and 
how this is still in, in the poet's mind and how because of the former censorship people speak honestly and so a lot of suppressed stuff came out so there were themes like that but um, no collective theme that could speak for all poles the plethora of choice a flooded market so it's very difficult to find any markers which would indicate what is representative and therefore possibly what should be translated. Because I would say in the past there have been, particularly these kind of anthologies that we've been talking about, an attempt um, to find you know, some level of representativeness in order to create a canon. And my conclusion, one of my conclusions in my introduction that the, the, the whole canon of Polish literature, what we should study now, is completely open. Now, the book is not itself about translation. Um, there is one article, though, about um, poetry translation, which, which covers quite a lot of the ground that um, um, Antonio has already talked about. Um, but in order to get this in perspective, um, I should mention, or I should explain who the book is aimed at. Yeah? Because one target audience is scholars like yourselves, other researchers, people generally interested in, in Polish culture and literature who already have some knowledge. But it's all equally aimed at student researchers of Slavic literatures and other fields who do not necessarily have any in-depth knowledge of, of Polish and therefore can't read the books in the original. Yeah? I mean, I'm not teaching at the moment, but I have to say that, you know, in my experience of teaching Polish literature, um, a couple of years um, in, 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 uh, in, in the last 10 years, that this was the initial problem, this was the first problem that one encountered that people did not, were not able or willing to read the text in Polish. Yeah? So the whole course had to be built around what existed in translation, and therefore that determined the canon. Yeah? Now, not a, this is not just a, a problem, you know, teaching um, Polish literature itself, but of bringing Polish literature into a wider form of study. And this is something that I, you know, I've had a, a mission about, felt about a mission about for several, many years that Polish should not be treated necessarily as something separate, you know, a separate field of study, Polish literature or Polish culture. It, it should be brought into um, a wider field, and I think this is where it also has a chance to survive and be of interest to um, English-speaking um, academe. For example, comparative literature, European cultural studies, and other comparative fields, yeah, such as European Romanticism, uh, European modernism, yeah? or the whole field of gender studies and women's studies, yeah? or the whole field of um, the general post-colonial studies or post-communist studies. Now, let me explain why I think this is so important, because it's not just a question of the Slavic field and um, students being unwilling to read things um, in, in the original, unable to read them. <coughs> It's also to do with the survival of the studies, and I'm sure some of you are aware of the, the terrible crisis that, that Glasgow has been going through in the last few years, where the, the Czech and the Polish studies are really under threat. Well, they're surviving, but they are surviving because...
because they have moved into a comparative field. Now, the, the, the studies uh, approach the, um, I, the way I understand it that people that are going through the system um, who are already studying hominids are going to go through and finish. But when they finish, there is going to be no Polish literature study as such. It is only going to be in translation in the comparative context. So this is why it's important to me, anyway, what exists in translation. And there's also the additional point that while some of us might regret um, you know, passing of literary studies based on originals, the increased reliance on translations does offer the chance for more non-Polish native speakers, non-Pol, to become involved in the field, and hence also for the literary text to be included in the study of exactly these broader European-wide uh, comparative contexts. I mean, to me, this is a, a central <coughs> issue because of the difficulty of the language and the fact that relatively few people who are not of Polish origin Study to a sufficiently high level, and I think you know we probably are we accept a few exceptions here. And this means that the perception of Polish literature as something inaccessible, different. I mean, I'm not sure that I really entirely agree with you that it's it's that there's there's a reaction here to this Central European thing. I think it's a question of knowledge more than anything. And to me, the barrier is the language. It's not a cultural barrier. And I can't really stress this enough. Um, there's no mysterious, je ne sais quoi, you know, about Poland or Polish literature. There's nothing that cannot be learned. Yeah? But the problem is the language. And until we get over that barrier of presenting things in, 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 in English, in translation, um, I don't see how really that can be true. Um, now, the efforts of individual translators, and of course, Antonia's. Um, a great example of this, but um, also Bill Johnston, who um, since 1989 he's translated um, not only contemporary literature, he's done many works of contemporary literature, he's also done classics, which I think have been crucial in bringing Polish literary studies to the English-speaking reader. However, the experience of working on our book has shown that despite this, many texts covered by the research are not translated and therefore they can't be accessed by non-Polish speakers. And so the research itself remains sadly limited in its appeal. For, for example, I mean, students may be inspired by our book, hopefully they will be, but they can't then take their study further or pursue the research because they can't read the books. And this is exactly the same thing, uh, experience that uh, we had with uh, CA Hawksworth's project uh, when we, we did a book on British uh, deceased um, about 10 years ago on the history of women's writing in, in uh, Central and Eastern Europe. You know, we, we produced this book, but there were so few translations that it sort of fell flat because, you know, it was, it was meant to appeal to the gender studies and the women's studies and, you know, general cultural studies audience, but it didn't really have any lasting resonance because people could then take what they've been inspired to read about any further themselves. Now, um, Antonia has already discussed um, some of the poetry anthologies. Um, in that book, we have, in fact, an article by the very same um, Elizabeth Wojciechowicz, who discusses 16 anthologies. And I was just going to pass these round. We can have a cup 
that you actually featured. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, art publications. Yeah, um, um, I was going to mention what, what yeah, I particularly hit on before. Um, and maybe the article does, doesn't isn't just a bibliographical thing that lists what's come out or um, highlights the work of particular translators or publishers. It also discusses this whole problem of being representative, yeah, being representative and choosing out of the vast, you know, array of stuff that's been published in English, what is representative and therefore what should be a canon. And it's it basically ends up explaining how um, this is an entirely subjective thing and one kind of anthologizing leads to another so certain poets become then the ones that are always read and the ones that are thought of great whereas there are a whole load of others that never get a, never get a look you know so it's all the whole business is very i think very unsatisfactory and i suppose is you know wants to be realistic can't be otherwise. Um, one thing that um, the article also I thought was quite interesting, it shows how certain individuals have tried to um, bring Polish into a wider context of other poetry. Yeah? So, um, for example, the work of Bill Martin in his special issue of the Chicago Review, then there's Brian McCabe. Um, who edited um, an edition of the Edinburgh Review and Wojciech Nis himself of Poetry Wales, where the poetry is actually put in a context. Yeah? So it's not just Polish literature, but it's European poetry, or it's Welsh poetry, Scottish poetry, and it's just seen as poetry. Yeah? And like all this poetry, it obviously has you know, some kind of national and specific cultural connotations, but mostly its interest and its its inspiration are transnational. And this is something that I, I do want to emphasise today. Um, it's my experience, and I'm not Polish, um, that what comes over from reading, having read a vast amount of Polish literature, is that it's entirely accessible. It's what 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 is faulty or what has been warped is the way we've studied it in the past. That certain Certain things have been taken out. So we're talking about messianism. We're talking about Polish suffering. We're talking about you know particular war experience. Yeah, but these are things that any culture seems to me can can in some way identify with. But it's also transnational. The problem is the language barrier. Now these the the, the these sixteen of which I'm circulating a few. Um, are, I would not describe them as random because a lot, a lot of work, a lot of thought has gone into what, choosing the poets, but they are arbitrary. Yeah? <laughs> and if you compare the ones that the poets that have actually been translated with another article in the book, which is a survey of Polish poetry, various generations, various movements since 1989, it hardly touches the surface. You know? So it's, it's not a representation. So, I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is that we should be very wary um, of these these kind of anthologies um, because um, they don't map 
the, the, the people that are translated, and this applies to the, the fiction as well, and I'll come on to that in a minute, um, it doesn't map firstly onto the titles reviewed in the Polish press. I mean, there is some overlap, of course, but, but the, generally speaking, the, the vast number of titles that are reviewed in the Polish press by well known critics like Dariusz Nowatski in Gazette Wyborcza, or indeed Kazimierz Sztuka in Wysokie um, Otsasy. All the reviewers writing in książki or Tygodnik uh, Polsze. That's one area. And the second area are the works that are treated as objects of study by academic critics and literary historians, such as in the various works on post-1989 literature by such experts as Jerzy Jarzemski or Przemysław Czapiński. Though there are, of course, exceptions. And Hüller is one of them, as is Olga Tokarczuk, both translated by Kai Antony. They are, I would say, the exceptions. So obviously, you know, other criteria apply in selecting works for translation for the market, and those which have been identified as the ones we should perhaps be studying um, by competent Polish critics. Um, now this is, in, I mean, just to give you just a very brief statistics on that book, we have an article, in fact, in the book by Jarzy Lezhansky, where he discusses 32 novels in this article, only seven of which have been translated. There are two articles about um, novels based on migration since 2004, mainly to the UK and to Ireland. Um, and these, you know, one could argue that they're rather popular books, they're not particularly well written, but they are sociologically interesting. The two authors that discuss these, they discuss over 20 titles. Only one of them, Kavanek's Nienagalnym Zionski, translated by Danusha Stock, is the only one of those 20 um, that has been translated. And then, you know, the women, there were four articles on women writers from various aspects, various of those angles. Uh, 29 texts are discussed. Um, only three have been translated into English again by Antonia. Two, um, two works by um, Olga Tokarczuk and the, the, the Garden of Memory. Um, you see, so when it comes to the study and the future of the study of Polish literature, this to me is concerning, particularly, you know, as the survival of the study, not just in Britain, but in the USA, is going to depend on a comparative context. It's quite important, you know, what is translated. And I think, you know, the fact that, um, you know, if, if people who are not of Polish origin cannot read the text, then you know, the way in which they're studied is going to be continue, is continually going to be working around the Polish national issues, yeah, or it's exposed to that. Whereas if we could only get outside that and bring bring the Polish texts into these wider fora, you know, it not only has a chance to be really appreciated, um, for its its more transnational values. I mean, and I feel very very strongly about this, and I think it's one of the tragedies of this literature. I mean, not just I'm not just talking about contemporary literature, but you know, over the centuries that it's um, not, brought, and I'm going to give you an example, it's an example to my own experience in it, that it's not brought into these wider contexts. Um, I mean, I'm a complete utopian, I know, um, but what I think all this needs 
is a systematic program of funding. Texts identified, I mean, not just contemporary ones, but going back, you know, even to, to the Renaissance. Um, systematic program of texts identified by a group of critics and scholars who dedicated money um, to pay publishers because they're not things that are going to sell on the normal market, um, and to pay translators. And I would say that, you know, in my view, this could extend beyond literature to include works of literary criticism, historical works which are being produced in Poland and which are not known here, and which could also feed into um, wider study. Right, so now, have I got five, ten minutes? Five, 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 five minutes, okay. Well, I will <laughs> now turn to my um, rather modest attempts to address the um, gaps. And I eventually came to my, my own invented um, translation program through women's studies. This was my impulse, yeah, to translate women who had not been translated not, not just now, but I mean, I'm talking about the 19th and early 20th century. So, I mean, I had translated Malvina um, by Maria Timberska, a book that was originally published in 1816. Timberska was the daughter of Isabella Czartoryska. And then Zmichowska, um, yeah? who is usually regarded as the first, you know, big name in, in, in Polish women's writing, although there were many writers writing before her. Um, not Cisa, no. um, so this was originally published in 1846. I'm now working on Zofia Narkovska. I've translated Shuka, which is um, has an international appeal. It has a, a sort of Thomas Mann type uh, theme. It's set in 1925 in the Swiss Alps in a sanatorium, and um, it has an international community. And it's not has nothing to do with Poland. Nothing to do. With and um, one of the interesting themes in it is that she meets there, in this sanatorium, Armenian survivors from the genocide of uh, 1915-16. And this is one of the earliest, no, it's one of the few that I know of, witnesses to this, this event by somebody who's not Turkish or Armenian. Um, so this is why I chose this one to start with. I've also translated Granitsa. Um, I finished translating it, but it won't appear for a you know, couple of years. And there's another one coming out from my, the same publisher. I'm going to have these around so you can have a look at the sort of things they are. But from the same publisher, um, another Anarkovska title um, by another, another translator. And my uh, an ongoing project I have is also the translation of a 17th century nun. And whilst you might think, well, who the hell would want to publish that or even read it? Um, it has actually got a publisher, and it's going to be published in one of these transnational series, um, The Other Voice in Early Modern Europe, which is um, a series that was founded by um, two scholars in Chicago. It was um, originally published by the University of Chicago Press, which recently moved to Toronto. And my text, um, which is the... Um, Autobiographia Mysticna of um, Mariana Mohotska, who's a Carmelite, discalced Carmelite nun, and it's written very much in the, in, in, in the spirit of Teresa of Avila. This is one of three 17th century Polish texts that are included in this vast series of you know, Italian and French and, and the rest of it. 
Now let me tell you. Sorry? Uh, Pilchtin, uh, Pilchtinova, Salomea Pilchtinova, who was, uh, it was a travel diary of a woman that actually trained as a doctor of sorts, yeah? And she traveled in Turkey and in the Russian Empire, yeah? And that's mm -hmm. one of them. And the other one is Ursula um, Francisca Radivuova, who lived, well, actually she lived with, in the early 18th century. She's a playwright, yeah. yeah? She created the, the theater of Mishkish, yeah? Um, okay, so I have to. One thing I really have to say: um, <laughs> why why I did these women? That it's not just because they are a women's text, which I know is a very fraught issue. <laughs> they're just women's texts about what women feel and women react. They are also tell us about aspects of Polish culture that we don't learn about from male writing. Um, and writing written outside Poland in this period. This is the Romantic period, yeah? So this, Malvina was originally published in 1816, so we're talking about pre-Romanticism. Um, the Heathen was published in, in, in 46. Now, when I studied Polish literature, and I think this is still the way it's probably taught, we learned about the three great Romantics, yeah? And they wrote in reaction to the 1830 uprising. They wrote in exile. They were men writing poetry or dramas in poetry. Yeah? Now these tell us about culture in Poland itself, in the partition of Poland. Um, from Malvina we can learn a lot and, and the środowiska, uh, the environment, the milieu of Czemberska um, and her salon. We can learn a lot about intellectual life um, in, actually in the Congress Kingdom after the Congress of Vienna. It's a very interesting period because it was between the founding of the Congress, Kongresówka, and the introduction of the Alexander I's um, censorship here. So it was a very free time, yeah? And the background to it is the 1812 campaign, yeah? So it's um, very much a patriotic book. It's got that element, but it has a lot, lot more about it. About, it's a European book. And it's the same that's true of the Zhuivoska. They happen to be written in Polish, they have patriotic dimensions, but they tell us about the, the culture at that time, in the Romantic period, in the Polish lands itself. And they are European texts. They happen to be European texts written in Polish. Because if you look at them and examine them, as I have done in my uh, introductions here, you see that the inspirations come from European literature. They come from French literature, they come from English literature, they come from uh, German literature. And this was something which was uh, studied, interestingly, in the 30s. So I'm not, these are not texts that I've dug out of nowhere, you know, for my own purposes. They were texts that were well known during their, in their own day. And in the 30s, they were, they were Studied and written about by Yudish Kleiner, by Václav Borov, um, by Tadeusz Szymko. Yeah, so this is. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll stop you asking some questions. Sorry, I don't, don't mind what you're asking. Sorry to interrupt like this, yeah, but I yeah. think it would be nice to have yeah, yeah, sure. uh, perhaps a, um, a little bit of uh, time for questions and comments from uh, our audience. So, first of all, perhaps you would like to thank our three speakers for, uh, very, different for very different. <laughs>